and misspellings and different keywords were were wrong. And so doing more research and having good content at the beginning probably would have got us where we're at now a little faster. You can do this really awesome video, but if it's not exciting and people don't care about the topic, you're not going to get people to watch it. Welcome to the Amplify Our City radio show and podcast, where we look to create a partnership between shoppers and our local companies to put the internet to work for our community instead of against it. Today, we'll be talking to two business leaders about how they make an impact through their brick and mortar locations, as well as online. First up, I had a chance to talk with Dominic Schwebs, the digital marketing and e-commerce manager at safeandvaultstore.com an online retailer of safes and security products. Thank you, Chauncey, for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, I kind of manage everything related to e-commerce. So adding new products, um, writing product descriptions, um, and then also into, goes into marketing, like email marketing and you know any type of marketing, creating campaigns and things like that. Is it? Accurate that Safe and Vault Store has been in business for 60 years? Um, yes. So the online store has actually been around since 2007. So around, we're actually having our 15-year anniversary this year. Um, our parent company, um, who founded Safe and Vault Store, started in 1948. So we have a long history of, you know, safes and security and things like that. And just kind of led to selling online and it's been pretty successful. You know, 15 years ago is, is pretty progressive to get online to sell for one for a, a localized business, but then on top of that to deal with the shipping and, and all the extras that that business would entail for online shopping. Was it uh, slow goings at the beginning or, or was there a draw for it immediately? Well, the good thing about um, our company is that um, even though it's kind of the early days of e-commerce, you know, e-commerce existed before that, but it was just kind of taking off at that time. And our benefit was that there wasn't a lot of competition at that time online. There was, you know, maybe a couple companies selling safes online. And we also had a lot of relationships because of us being around a long time with, you know, different vendors. And so we had, you know, better pricing than a lot of companies could get. We had all the shipping kind of already worked out. And so um, it, there was challenges, of course, but um, it was probably easier for us when we started than maybe just someone who didn't know anything about safes and try to start a company. So, right. You know, that makes sense. But I think about online retailers and a, a big part of their complaint a lot of the time is shipping. And uh, and the cost of shipping, and you guys are shipping just about the heaviest things shipped. <laughs> Safes are definitely heavy. They're, you know, a big steel box. Some of them have concrete in them. I think one of our heaviest safes is about 5,000 pounds. So figuring out a way to ship that and, you know, of course, we offer free shipping. So customers really like that because shipping is expensive. And so we figured out a way to make it cost effective for our customers to buy without having that, wow, it's six to thousand dollars for shipping, you know, or something right. like that. So, right. um, you know, you guys have the advantage of being both a brick and mortar location and selling online. Um, do you find that your 
clientele is quite different online than in the store and what they want and expect? It's a little bit of the same customers that come in versus shop online. The benefit of shopping online is that you can get a quick answer. You can call us, you could chat with us, you can send us an email. You're going to get a pretty quick response. And coming in the store, you're also going to get a quick response, but um, you know, it's, it's just a different type of experience. And so some people like the online um, where you don't have to go into a store and some people like the, they like to touch the safe and look at it and look at the metal and open the door and play with the lock and, and things like that. And so it's just a different experience. I think they're kind of the same customers, but some just prefer a different way of shopping, I think. I see. I see. And um, do you find that they're mostly uh, like individual customers or businesses? We sell to both. So um, maybe half of our customers are, you know, the residential need a gun safe, need a safe for, you know, cash, jewelry, you know, to keep at home. And then we also have the business customers that need a safe for their store. Um, you know, maybe it's a convenience store or, you know, maybe they have cash they need to lock up, um, jewelry stores, pharmacies, you know, any type of store that has something they need to lock up, you know, they buy a safe. So kind of have a mixture of both, both types of customers. I see. You know, and how do your customers tend to find you? Obviously, your online customers find you online. But um, is, is most of your online traffic via search or, uh, you know, what angles do you go at there? Search is going to be our biggest as far as getting new customers. So Google search and, um, you know, paid searches, you know, another way. So of course, getting the uh, organic results is, is of course the best, but of course you still have to pay sometimes too, to get, to show up, but also word of mouth is really big too. Um, you know, we try to get the most positive reviews we can, and we feel like, a lot of customers really like our service and they recommend their friends and family. And so we got, um, we got a lot of referral business that way, just by providing good service to our customers that find us. And then social media is also becoming a lot bigger. So back, you know, Facebook wasn't really a thing, you know, back when we started 15 years ago. So there wasn't really social media. And then even when it was a thing, there wasn't really advertising, um, you know, good ways to advertise. And now it's, Facebook, Instagram, now there's TikTok, Pinterest, you know, there's all kinds, YouTube, there's all kinds of different channels to market to. And so it's actually a good thing because back in the day it was Google and that was it. And maybe you did some print ads and some other things. And now with social media, it's, you know, allowed us to diversify our ads and get reach new customers that we couldn't have reached before. You know, uh, I think a lot of business owners will find this interesting because a lot of people, uh, I want to say about five years ago, uh, it was all over that social media was the new way to get your business out there. And it seems like in the last five years, a lot of people have had the attitude that it's a lot of work with very little result. Um, yeah. <clears throat> now, are you talking about working your profiles or are you talking about with paid ads via these uh, social media? Both. Um, social media is is a lot tougher to get customers because in Google, somebody's searching for something that they want right now or they need. 
and with Facebook or even other, the other channels, they don't necessarily need something right now, or they may not be thinking about something right now, but an ad shows up and, you know, they might not be ready to buy right that second. And, but it keeps kind of the brand awareness out there. So they see our brand and then in the future, when they do need a safe, they're like, oh yeah, that brand's safe and vault store. So that's where we kind of see that the social media stuff is more brand awareness and kind of building that relationship with the customer. We do post a lot too, um, you know, on our, on our different pages and we get some response from that, which is good, but I think we get most of it from our paid ads. I see. Um, brand awareness specifically, and that's what I try to tell people. And I try to tell people how important it is, but it, how also, you know, how do you how do you really tell if your brand awareness is doing good on on social media? How 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 do you tell? That's very tough. It's vaguely, tough... vaguely. I don't expect you to give away the special uh, ingredient. <laughs> yeah, it's very <laughs> tough to tell if it's working or not. So because you can't really track, you know, hey, this person saw our ad and then they bought. So it, it kind of works in, let's say you turned all your ads off and you didn't run any ads. Um, you would of course see your sales drop off. And so we know it works to a certain extent, but it's, it is one of the difficult things about tracking conversions is where did that customer come from? Cause sometimes, you know, Google takes credit or someone else takes credit and, but they really, they saw us on Facebook and I mean, maybe six months ago, and then they ended up, you know, Googling us. So right. that brand awareness is really tough to know if it works, but you do know it works somewhat because you could turn your ads off and you'd see your sales just drop off pretty quickly. Right. A lot, probably a lot like real world marketing. Um, yep. Billboards and things like that. Right. Even yep. if you try to put a tracking phone number on it, they remember your name, they look you up and now it's the internet yep. as opposed to the billboard that got them there. But exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, when you were first starting out, let's let's go with Safe and Vault Store, not you. When you first started at that business, um, what was your first like big hiccup? Like, what would you, what advice would you give to another marketer or business coming into that situation? Like, what was your first obstacle? First obstacle. Um... I really didn't have any experience in marketing when I first started. Um, I kind of came from, you know, the, a different part of the company and I had a aptitude for online, you know, I shopped online. Um, and so the owner recognized that and kind of put me in that position, but I was kind of learning as I went. And so we had a company that we used in the beginning to kind of guide us and things like that. Um, but just, I think the the biggest thing was, you know, building the website with the right content at the beginning was really tough. So we did a lot of outsourcing and some of the content wasn't great and misspellings and different keywords were were wrong. And so doing more research and having good content at the beginning probably would have got us where we're at now a little faster. But you know, that that makes a lot of sense, especially with you guys, your website is massive. So yeah. to take an inventory of, well, for one, your inventory, but not to mention all the content. Yes. And make sure that the content is clean would be probably a year job for a company. It is. It's a lot of work. Yep. To manage all that. Um, 
you know, but outside of that, in in marketing in general, outside of the business, what advice would you give to a new marketer to get started, to learn those things? You know, um, what did you learn first that really sort of made you feel like I'm a marketer? This is working. I think taking some classes, you know, just even if they're um, online classes. Um, so, for example, you know. The, um, the platform that we use for our email marketing, Clavio, they have tons of free training and videos and different things like that. I think um, watching videos and learning, you know, about what to do right, what not to do. And, you know, that's definitely a plus. It's hard to find, you know, you can research online, you know, marketing tactics and you'll get tons of different things from different people. So it's hard to know what to trust. So just finding, you know, those companies that you can trust to learn from and, you know, kind of build your knowledge of marketing. So, and also learning different, different avenues, you know, learning email marketing, e learn social media marketing, learn content writing, uh, link building, all those different things, you know, have a different skill set. And so learning, the more skills you can add to your toolbox, of course, the, the stronger you're going to be when you're trying to do different things and try to grow a business. So I think, yeah, just doing that, that research and taking the time to do it, you know, versus just trying to learn on the fly. That's really tough. You know, just making, sometimes you make mistakes and you don't even know why yeah. you, why your rankings all of a sudden dropped off. And you're like, what happened? And so yeah, well, I mean, that makes sense. And you diversify and there's so much out there. I think a lot of people, you know, get really confused um, and find it difficult to track with the amount that's out there. How do you prioritize what marketing tactics you focus on? Of course, I'm sure there's an ROI level, <laughs> you know, it's probably the bottom line, but, you know, yeah. how do you get there to to decide this is where we're going to put our next big push? just trying to find um you know the right marketing so email marketing you can send tons of emails out but if you're not sending them to the right people you're not going to get much out of it you know people aren't going to open your email people aren't going to click on it um with social media you know you can post every day but if the content's not engaging no one's gonna no one's gonna comment no one's gonna like it no one's gonna share it so just really trying to think about, you know, how, who is my customer and what, what are we trying to do to get them to, what are we trying to get them to do? Is it to buy something? Is it to, um, you know, follow us on Facebook maybe? So maybe they don't buy something, but they share something and their friends buy something. Just trying to target different areas, um, you know, to, to concentrate on. It's, there's so like you said, there's so many different things you can focus on and finding, you know, the ones that are the going to give you the most value is is sometimes hard because you might do something um, like we do tons of videos. Um, I think video is really important in marketing right now, especially um, you know on YouTube and and even Facebook. And finding the videos that are actually going to get people to watch that's a really challenging thing because you can do this really awesome video, but if it's not exciting and people don't care about the topic, you're not going to get people to watch it. So being creative. And I think marketing is really about being creative and thinking about different ways to 
you know, engage people. Do you find that individual product videos are um, more effective or maybe just overall product line videos? So what we've found is the most effective, which doesn't necessarily bring in the most sales, is how-to videos. Hmm. So the how-to videos really get a ton of views, um, even if they're not really our customer. Uh, so for example, we have how to run your combination lock. Well, that's a really common question that people um, you know, ask, but they may not have bought the safe from us. They might've just been a person who needed to know how to run their combination lock, but we have half a million views on that video. Mm. So, but the product videos, they don't necessarily get as many um, views because they're not as exciting and there's a limited audience for maybe one product. Um, the, the product category videos do really well because there's more you know, like if you picked gun safes as a topic, you know, there's a lot to talk about with gun safes. And so you're going to get a lot more views that way than if you're talking about a specific gun safe that maybe people are looking for. Um, but you might get more sales from the product specific videos because they're already interested in that product. And then now you're kind of talking about all the features and benefits and they can see the product in front of them and you're opening the door and closing the door and they're doing different things. And so if you're talking about sales, the product videos are going to be the most successful, but, you know, getting people to watch, those are going to be the how-to video type things. Right. Yeah. It's a prime example of where, where metrics could steer you wrong because here you're looking at the informational video uh, that gets the massive amount of traffic and then the one product video that maybe gets three sales. But when you're dealing with something the size of a safe, I assume those sales add up to quite a bit. Yes. Yep. Um, but I, I assume there's also money to be saved in those informational videos because it probably keeps people from calling you and using up manpower. It does. That's exactly why we created it. We're like, how can we create a video that, um, you know, because what is the most common questions we're getting asked on the phone? And that happened to be one of them. And we didn't realize it was going to be so, you know, must be the number one video out there when people search, how do you run your combination lock? And it just got a ton of views and comments and likes and thank you for helping me. And so it does help the channel overall. So I think they're very important to do. Even if you're like, well, I'm not going to get any sales from this. You're right. You're, you're going to get some help because they're not going to be calling you asking that question. And now you're spending 10 minutes helping them with that. Um, they can just watch the video and do it. But also you're getting tons of um, engagement for your channel, which is helping your other videos too. So. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's, it tends to be the confusing thing about online marketing is separating things into boxes when those boxes overlap so heavily. So you're trying to track your marketing, you're trying to track what's important, what's not important, yet there's this gray overlap between everything. Does right. your email help your SEO? Well, yes, in a way it does because of yeah. the traffic and the onsite, yeah. Uh, now, the answer to this is probably yes for everybody, but do you track the results of your marketing dollars? Uh, nah, that's a pretty vague question. How about how deeply do you track the results of your marketing dollars? We do track, we do track it. So we have you know, our different channels and how much we spend. And we try to attribute as much as we can to each channel of sales volume. But um, it's that whole thing where 
the last per the last step is going to get the you know is going to get the sale and so it's sometimes hard to track another problem we have probably not everybody has this problem but we have this problem because of our average order value um is customers like to call so they want to talk to a person they want to chat with a person and they want to give their order to someone over the phone and that makes it very tough to track okay that customer did google us but then he called and now we took the order how do you how do you you know convert or put that sale to which channel they came from right and so there's a gap in um you know when you look at we use google analytics as one way to kind of track things even though it's not 100 percent accurate you see a pretty big gap you know when you look at maybe google for example you'll see okay this is how much revenue we have but you know it's more than that because of all the calls that we get so we try to track calls and attribute okay our average order value is this so if we have this many calls and we convert let's say 25 percent of them on the phone this is how many sales we got from phone calls. And so just trying to track that and say, okay, is our marketing dollars really working or do we need to move them from one channel to another? So like, for example, Bing, we spend money on Bing shopping and sometimes Google is performing so well that we'll take that budget from Bing and we'll move it to Google because we know, okay, you know, the Google sales have gone up this month and we can spend that extra money. So we do we do track it. It's it's sometimes tough, you know, to to really know 100%, you know, where the marketing dollars are really going and are they really working. So yeah, in what you were just saying there, you were talking about uh, calling from the website wanting to talk to somebody. On your site, you've had a chat box in the bottom right-hand corner for years now. Um I assume so, that that's been effective for you. It's been yeah, chat is really, really big, uh, especially if customers have quick questions. You know, they don't really want to call, wait on hold, um, maybe have to leave a voicemail. Even though that we answer the phone right away, they don't know that when they're calling. So they might think, okay, well, there's a chat and it's convenient. And I just have one question or two questions. And so it really helps, you know, and get those questions answered and also kind of build a little relationship with them um, up front, you know, whereas before chat, they might not have called and they were just on the website trying to figure out the question. And maybe the question wasn't there on the website. And so they end up leaving because they can't find their answer. And now they have the answer. And we try to, when customers ask questions and the answer is not on the product page, we try to get that information you know, we'll we'll call the manufacturer and get that information. And then we'll actually put that on the product page for the next customer that's trying to find it. So that chat really helps in that regard because we know the questions people are asking and the information we can actually add to our website based on that question. So, and taking care of it immediately. You don't yeah. have to track it. Right. Right. Um, so I think a lot of starting businesses like the idea of the chat box, you know, uh, I'm not a spring chicken myself, but I got kids and uh, they're adults and I know they don't want to call as much as they want to type. Um, yep. Is it, is it, um, is it difficult answering it? I think a lot of people would have the complaint and of course they're smaller businesses. Uh, do you have one person delegated to be responsible for these or, 
or how do you answer it quickly? And do you find that answering it quickly is even necessary? We try to answer it quickly um, because, you know, I hate to say this, but a lot of people are impatient. And so if they have to wait a minute for someone to get back to them, sometimes they leave because they didn't get a quick response. So I think the quicker you can answer those questions, the you know, and keep people's attention, I think the better. And I, we have a team of people that actually answer the phones and the chats all at the same time. Um, but I don't think it takes a team of people. You know, you can, um, for example, on another website um, that I managed, um, we added a chat and one person was able to answer all the chats in one day. So it doesn't take a lot of resources unless you have like tons and tons of traffic where you're getting so many chats that you got to have a team of people. Um, you just, we just answer them as we're answering the phones. And usually they're just real short, you know, one or two minutes and they're done. And also another benefit of the chat is we're collecting their email address when they're chatting with us. So we're saying, hey, can you provide your email um, so we can get back to you? And then we're marketing to those customers with our email. They're subscribing to our list basically when they're doing that. And we're marketing to them, um, you know, on top of them you know, chatting because they're not ready, quite a customer yet. They might become a customer, but maybe there's a promotion that's coming out and that kind of pushes them over the edge, you know, or things like that. So it all kind of works together. The chat kind of helps marketing out um, because we're collecting emails, we're getting information and more um, stuff for our product pages and we're answering their questions quickly and, and responsive. Gotcha. Um... Earlier, you said that it was important to uh, get reviews. How, how do you deal with a bad review? And I know I'm kind of setting you up here to give the right answer, but I think a lot of businesses don't deal with it right. So I think they need to hear it. Bad reviews are actually a positive or, or you should take them as a positive because um, it can point out maybe issues in your company that you didn't know about or you know maybe things that you can't control or that, that you didn't know about like shipping you know, maybe there's a carrier that's, you know, damaging shipping or, or losing packages or, um, you know, things like that, or, or maybe there's a certain complaint about something. Um, it kind of tells you, you know, you can say, well, that's just a, a bad customer, but I don't personally take it that way. I take it as how can we learn from this, even if maybe it wasn't our fault? Um, how do, how can we learn from this and grow from it? and improve our service. But also, um, I think it's important to respond to reviews always if there's a one, two or three star. And I call every one, one or two or three star review and talk to them personally and figure out what their issue was and can is there anything that we can do to resolve it? Um, sometimes there's not, sometimes there is, um, but they appreciate the call I think of following up and even if there's nothing we can do to make them happy, I think they appreciate that, hey, we're trying to help you. And, um, you know, once I, after I call, I do respond to the review saying I called and here's the solution. Or if there wasn't a solution, I, you know, just kind of respond with what happened. But I think also if you respond with kind of attacking back at the customer, like let's say they say how bad of a company you are and you're horrible and you have bad service. And then you, you go back at them with, well, you were a bad customer. It just looks bad to do okay. that. So responding with, you know, here's how, here's what happened and here's how we can help you fix it, I think is the, the main goal. 
Have there been any complaints that you've dealt with that sort of led to positive sweeping changes either in marketing or the company? Definitely. Um, there has been a few where, you know, we're like one carrier was, you know, damaging a ton of product. And the only way we were finding that out is customers were, um, a lot of times they call and complain about that, but they were leaving reviews about it. And so we changed carriers um, because of, of all those reviews. So I think it can make a change. Um, if you, you definitely want to do it sooner rather than later, because the longer you wait, the more bad reviews you can get. Um, but I think as customers are reading through the reviews, because a lot of people before they buy are definitely going to search for reviews and figure out, you know, you know, if you have all five stars, there's a problem, right? right. Um, there's nobody that's perfect. Things happen, mistakes happen. And especially right now with, you know, the shipping things going on and containers and back orders and, um, there's a lot of people upset. And so the way you handle it is really important because future customers are going to read that. And if they read a lot of, you know, well, they didn't take care of me and you don't reply to them with, you know, here's how we can help you. Um, people aren't going to buy based on that. So. Yeah. Um, in what ways does, you know, given going down that same attitude there, in what ways have you looked at your competitors and sort of found a niche to go above and beyond for the customer? Like, um, is there something that your competitors aren't doing that you guys do and you know that you're doing that and that sets you apart? Yeah, there, everything we tend to do, the, our competitors tend to copy us. So it's, it's, we're kind of the trendsetters. I, I don't want to brag, but I feel like we're kind of setting some of the trends and then they're kind of following along. Mm. Uh, for example, everybody when we first started was charging extra for shipping and you know we were like hey you know every, you know all these big box stores are doing free shipping we got to figure out a way to do it and as soon as we did that um our sales increased but then our competitors started to do it too so i think we do watch our competitors pretty closely and kind of seeing what they're doing um there isn't anything i can think of that besides that where we're like wow we should be doing that too well that's um, a big one right there yeah I mean, uh, you know, yep. to to shop for such a high dollar item, uh, I you know I don't want to, but I mean, safe. It's a big purchase, yeah. Um, and such a heavy item, where obviously, as we've talked about before, you're thinking about shipping. You know, I think seeing free shipping on that website would make a big difference. It does. I think it's a, you know, people really love that. You know, even though they know they're paying for shipping. It, it, it's just, you know, they don't see that high cost, which I think makes them feel better. And um, it it's definitely a benefit to the customer too, because, you know, let's say we're in, we're shipping out of Washington and we're shipping to New York. Well, the shipping costs might be super high to ship something all the way across the country, you know, and maybe another customer's in Washington while the shipping cost isn't gonna be as high. So, you know, they're not getting this huge shipping cost. They're, everybody's kind of paying the same for the safe. Right, right. Um, this one's, you know, it's a little, uh, a little vague, but a little personal towards you. Uh, how much is luck a factor in business? 
And in quotes, I have feeling lucky doesn't count because everybody that's successful probably feels lucky. Right. But like in success, how much how much do you think luck factors in? I think it's it does factor in a little bit. Um, you know, some things you try, you're not sure if they're going to work. And so some of it is luck, you know, and it works and you're like, oh, wow. OK, uh, that was lucky. And so I think it does factor in. It does play a part. but. I think if you're smart about your decisions and think things through before just doing things or trying things, I definitely think you should try things, um, you know, because if you don't, if you just stay the same, it's, it's hard to grow. So you got to try different things, but you know, yeah, sometimes luck, you know, plays a little part in that. Right. Yeah. My wife is lucky and I think she's lucky because she puts herself out there. Right. Exactly. Um, what about delegating responsibilities? So you you came in, you learned the task. Was was there a hiccup there where the time came to start delegating responsibility? Was that a difficult move? It's very hard, uh, especially for me. Um, so, but there's not enough time in the day a lot of times to do everything. So, learning to delegate has been a challenging thing for me personally, because you know I like to control all the things that I help create. But, you know, you have to sometimes if you want to grow and get ahead, there's just too much work sometimes to do. And if you try to do it all yourself, you just get burned out. So at some point you have to say, OK, I need some help. And whether that's hiring somebody to help you or outsourcing it, you know, I think it's important to make sure the workload is balanced. But things are also getting done if things are falling through the cracks and you're not getting done. That's going to really hurt your marketing. So. Um, I try to prioritize myself what's going to get the most value. And then when I have time, you know, then some of the other things that are kind of wish list type things, then I'll work on um, and then delegate, you know, some of the tasks that are, you know, still important, but, but need to get done too. And, you know, finding people tends to be the, one of the hardest parts. How do you, how do you find people? It's very challenging right now to find good people. Um, so the, uh, that is a challenge I think everybody has right now. And, you know, we have found some good people. It just takes sometimes a little bit longer than it used to, to find somebody. Um, but, you know, I just have to keep trying and, and keep looking. Basically just keep your feelers out all the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, okay. Final question. What do you see in the future of e-commerce and digital marketing that businesses are going to have to deal with coming up? I think, um, well, the pandemic kind of showed us that um, when things started to shut down the local brick and mortar stores, that e-commerce kind of became the main focus. And I think that's just only going to keep going. I think there'll always be brick and mortar and local showrooms and things where people can go in. But I think as the younger generation is getting older, and there's new, um, you know, the new younger generation is coming up. I think that online shopping is going to be just get bigger and bigger. And so having a presence online, you know, if you have a showroom, getting a presence online is really important. And even if it's just for information, um, but e-commerce is, is I think, going to be the future. And, um, you know, people are already buying on social media products. And I think that's also going to grow, you know, being able to sell on your Facebook channel or Instagram, 
you know, right from a video or right from, you know, a post, that's also going to be pretty big too. All right, Dominic. Well, uh, thank you very much for being on and letting me quiz you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. If you'd like to know more about safeandvaultstore.com, conveniently, you can find them at safeandvaultstore.com. I also had the opportunity to talk with Brian Winston from Johnson City's own local motion bicycle shop about what it's like to transition a business from real world to online sales and a whole lot more. What we, what we began with was, uh, I'm a general contractor by trade and have been for 20 years. And I've always looked for properties to invest in and uh, came across this structure that was built 19 and 20, uh, right beside of a trailhead, which is the longest trailhead for a rails to trails project in the state of Tennessee. And at least it was uh, a number of years ago. I'm not sure if it still holds that title, but I bought the building to redo the building, refurbish it and either to lease it or sell it. And, we opened it up initially with some conversations with a friend that they were going to run it and open it up as a strictly a rental business for, and then selling drinks and apparel and stuff like that. And then we eventually evolved into for three and a half years now to a full blown bike shop uh, for, you know, new sales repairs, you know, anything to do with cycling. And so been in business for three and a half years and I'm the owner of it. And, um, uh, so that's how it evolved. You know, this uh, this rails to trails, does this mean that they were going through taking old train trails and turning them into uh, train train tracks and turning them into trails? It's, that's correct. Yep, yep. It's something that's happened all across the country. Uh, railways that no longer utilize those sections or pathways or routes and uh, cities and uh, municipalities across the country have been converting them into walking, hiking, running, cycling. Uh, it's just a, a, just a avenue for people to get people outside. So, yes. That's really interesting. That's really cool. Uh, were you a cyclist prior to this? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was a hobby of mine. Started cycling again. I did in high school and college and then got away from it for, for a number of years and then got back into it about – probably 11 years ago and uh, or 10 years ago and uh, just became a hobby of mine. And it sort of coincided with me, with me and the structure. So it just sort of evolved into something that, you know, uh, that I, that I do, uh, I don't know, three to five times a week. So it sort of worked out as a hobby that turned into a little business and, and we'll see where it goes. So you started out really as a brick and mortar rental business. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And uh, we felt as though from conversations with the customers coming in uh, that we were leaving a lot of opportunity on the table. So we got involved and got a mechanic in there. We picked up uh, more and more product lines. Uh, we picked up uh, different bicycle lines and we're up to five now and uh, five lines and continuously growing. And, and, and we, we're into primarily mountain bike, gravel biking. Our rental business still does really, really well. And, uh, and then, then the bike sales, e electric bikes, pedal assist bikes uh, is huge for us and growing daily. Um, and uh, actually we opened uh, a couple more properties adjacent to it. And we're actually building a, a, a tap room, uh, opening up a, another business 
below that at street level, it's an e-bike business. And then we're putting in a kid's uh, flow trail pump track, if you will. And we're going to be doing nightly food trucks and just, you know, growing on the basis, you know, our basis that we've created over the past three and a half years. It sounds really cool. Um, how much do you separate your business? You know, um, with with the bringing in of the of the more retail side and the rental side, do you separate those pretty heavily when it comes to marketing or dealing with them? Or are they still kind of all under the same roof? I mean, um, they're, they're literally under the same roof. I'm talking figuratively, of course. Sure, sure. Uh, our rental business uh, probably is maybe about 10% of our business now. And uh, where I would say when we first started out, we were selling T-shirts and hats and whistles and drinks and, you know, little trinkets here and there. But uh, so now it's probably if it's 10 percent, but say approximately 10 percent of our business and then the uh, service side and the sales side, whether it's there's there's a whole assortment of products that coincide with uh, cycling from smart computers to smart trainers to you know, Garmin watches, Wahoo products. Wahoo's another brand for smart trainers and Garmin makes them as well. Uh, we sell, you know, any genre of cycling, cycling products. So, uh, but the rental business has, you know, continued to grow, but our other business has, uh, you know, really, really, you know, outpaced our rental business. Okay, so here you are, you went into business and the goal was to rent out bicycles and now it's 10% of your business. We started out slow, not sure, you know, what it was because there's enough bike shops in the Tri-Cities area, which consists of Johnson City, Kingsport, and Bristol, in Northeast Tennessee, and baby steps grew as we felt comfortable with growth and uh, led to us, you know, even in the smart trainer business, everybody hears Peloton, and Peloton is a spin bike product, and really it doesn't, you know, Peloton's the craze, but you know, smart trainers give you this Peloton on steroids where, you know, the, the grade, the simulation of the computer program that you're running, if you're going from a 2% grade up to a 14% grade, the trainer really engages the wheel and the efforts you can get involved into races, group rides, workouts. So it's, uh, like I said, it's, uh, it's uh, uh, the Peloton on steroids, if you will. And so we were the third largest dealer in the Southeast our second year and uh, just, I don't know, uh, just the whole facet of everything is just sort of came together for us there. And, and then uh, we've, we've really grown. We've got a great following, um, Instagram followers, Facebook followers. Someone's been impacted through our growth. And that's, you know, I don't know, throughout the Tri-Cities, are we penetrating, taking customers away? But our growth came from somewhere. Or there's just more and more people that looking for that uh, outdoors experience to distance themselves and, and you know, discover the environment. So. I don't know. Maybe a combination of both. So, how do your how do your customers tend to find you? Um, our Google searches, uh, whether that's generic or specific, but specific, of course, is less than. Maybe they'll Google, uh, you know, bike rental shop, or they'll Google bike shop, or you know, a helmet. They'll you know, bike helmets or bike carriers, uh, bike racks, for example. So our Google searches, we're getting popped somewhere around, well, in the winter months it drops down because people don't, you know, don't get out outside as, as they normally would unless it's your avid cyclist, but it will probably go between 14 and 16,000 uh, uh, hits on that a month. It's nothing to scoff at. No, no, we're real pleased with that. And yeah. I don't know, we post a lot. Uh, it seems like Instagram is more so, we get more 
more views, clicks, or whatever than we do on Facebook, and uh, not really doing any paid advertising through either one. And um, you know, we we have an online presence that we started uh, in online sales, and we're a little bit unique. We have you know our our own stock products, and but we have like eleven thousand items online. We have distribution or distributors that we will tag along with their products, and it will show on our webpage. Uh, the in-stock or in-store pickup or ship direct to the consumer from our distributors without us even touching it. So, yeah, I, I don't, you know, I truly don't know, but I just think it's, you know, a combination of where we're located with bike rental searches, bike shop searches, Facebook, Instagram, uh, and, and, and so I think that's where most people are, you know, visiting us. You know, what was your first uh, hiccup? You know, it all sounds pretty uphill, you know, but uh, no pun intended, right? Sure, sure. Um, but what was your first like business hiccup going into this? Was there ever a point where you were just all like, okay, we have to make a change. Something is. Yeah, I think uh, where, I don't know if it was a hiccup or something, but when we first opened up, you know, daily sales were slow as brand new business trying to capture and then rentals w- w- discovered early on within the first four or five months that uh, rental business wasn't going to pay the bills. And as we, we opened up the end of May, 1st of June, and we felt, you know, it was a little slow, a little discovery, got some great, great article write-ups in the local papers and things of that nature. And, um, but discovered then that, I don't know if it was a hiccup or just a growing pain or came to the real, we've got to do more. And then just when the feedback we were getting from our customers coming in, hey, do you fix flat tires? Hey, do you sell chains? Hey, do you sell a tire? Uh, and things. So we sort of started building on what we were hearing and, and, and evolved into uh, a full-blown shop. So I can't say there was a hiccup, but, uh, but you know, it was just common awareness that we're coming to the realization that you know, revenue needs to be increased. What do you wish you knew when you started marketing your company? Is there, is there anything like when you started doing local motion that you should have done that you just realized later on? Just discovering my wife and I have owned several different businesses and own two now, thank goodness. Uh, and uh, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, marketing, uh, I'm really, really involved in the cycling environment in the Tri-Cities, uh, you know, whether it's mountain biking clubs or road cycling clubs or gravel, there's there's several different ones. And just trying to be involved with the, the city of Johnson City when there are certain things that are occurring. The Johnson City itself is very pro, pro-cycling. pro So it, not only do we have the Tweaky Trail where we're at, you know, they've opened up, you know, a couple of new mountain bike city parks, mountain bike parks, which one of them is like two-tenths of a mile. We're 75 yards from the head of the Tweety Trail. Uh, they're getting ready to open up 750 acres, less than a mile's ride or a bird's fl- as a bird would fly t- to us. So we're very fortunate in some of the position or the location we we're at. And marketing has just been basically word of mouth and then the, the social media aspects. How much was COVID an impact on this? Uh, it kind of feels like you might have gotten some more business of people wanting to be outside. We did, uh, whether it's, you know, for us in the little world we're in, you know, people wanted to, you know, couldn't go on vacations, had destinations that were closed down, travel restrictions from your employer. And so, you know, anything outdoors, whether it's kayaking, boating, RVs, ATVs, motorcycles, cycling, 
that that world where initially the manufacturers were canceling orders uh, because they thought COVID was going to shut them down. One of my vendors said they anticipate losing 65 for 65 percent of their dealers uh, across the country, and they really got tied on uh, extending credit lines. And uh, just in a short amount of time, the the scare was closing down to hey, we need more product, and so the pendulum just swung a total opposite way. So yes, we, we, we seen that growth. Uh, we grew, you know, 2020 was our biggest year ever. We grew 38% last year over 2020. And we can already see that uh, this year is going to be good, even though it's been cold, we're just the interest in cycling. And, and uh, so, so COVID really was a positive, if you can say there was a positive, but the, yeah, the outdoor stuff, RV sales, et cetera, et cetera. People are looking for, you know, distancing themselves and getting away from everyone due to the COVID restrictions. So, I never took so many walks in my life, you know, <laughs> during COVID. Yeah. I was like, I'm spending yeah. a lot of time outside because it was one of my two options. So a lot of businesses, a lot of the time sort of have a problem with social media because it's so difficult to track your investments and your efforts. But here you are, as an event, your business is is almost kind of like an event in its advertising. The advertising is built in. While the rentals might only be 10%, like you were saying, the rentals is the event, and you probably always have great content for, for social media. So Instagram's been good to you. I think a lot of businesses could learn from um, finding that event aspect of their business. Uh, okay, so over the years, what complaints from clients have helped you make a positive change to your business? We listen. I've got some really, really good employees. Our general manager there, she just graduated from, uh, she's been with me for, let's see, three years and four months. So she came on really early. She just got her degree last May. So she's really involved. She's a mechanic. She was sent off to mechanic school, all this stuff. Very, very personable. If you're personable, treat people the way that you want to be treated. So I think we just listen to the complaints they hear from other shops, uh, whether someone just because I have a bike and you're five foot two, but they, they're trying to sell you an extra large uh, bike. Uh, we want to size the people properly, give them, listen to what they want to buy, listen to their price points they want. Um, and, and so just we, we, we just try to build off the positive. So uh, such as another we had a, we had an issue pop up early on that uh, someone came in and bought a seat, a saddle, and uh, they, they wrote it for two or three days and brought it back and said, I don't like it. Well, we can't exchange it. It's used. Well, where's your return policy? So we immediately figured out, well, we got to have it posted on the wall. We got to have it on our receipts. And we got to have it online. So uh, just from the retail aspect, just hearing and listening uh, to that situation, we've tried to grow in a positive way and we're constantly implementing new internal policies uh, that would be fair for the consumer and fair for us and just be upfront and, you know, out front with what those policies may be. So uh, complaints, um, we check bikes in, we check bikes out from the rental stuff. Uh, we make sure they're in working order. Uh, if, if someone has an issue, like electric bikes, when they come and rent those or demo those, you know, uh, we had a problem, you know, at this point in time, and we only got this many miles out of 
this. Okay, well, what, what we'll do is next rental is on us, and you know that really right there suffices with uh, somebody getting something, and then we'll discover if we really truly have a problem. And and so, but it's it's uh, we 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 attempt to satisfy everyone uh, within a reason, and uh, we just try to build off of what we have heard from the negatives on us or the negatives that we hear of other other shops doing. So, and I think we've won a lot of customers over by being, uh, being, being upfront with. Yeah. Again, this is different than a lot of businesses. Like we were saying about um, Instagram, you know, nobody goes to Walmart and an important part of Walmart's marketing is that I now go tell my friends how much fun I had at Walmart. Mm-hmm. But with the rentals and with everything going on around the activity of your business, um, it must be very important that people walk out and say, we had fun. That right there, you know, one negative, it spread six times and one positive is only told one time. So it's reverse of what it should be. But, you know, that's that's exactly uh how the feedback is and and we you know we allow people to post reviews and i think we've got one negative uh with verbiage and another one just a one star but uh you know on our reviews on on uh google or whatever you know uh this company that we use for our rental programs because people just go ahead and online rent set the time frames that they want they're there they're ready to go they're reserved for them when they come in and uh the feedback from that uh that online service that we have has been really really good it shows positive reviews and only unfortunate thing in my mind is that uh, if somebody comes and gives us a five-star rating that that company does not post they have to actually write some verbiage out for it to be posted so we've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, you know, five-star ratings, uh, but uh, we're limited to the, uh, uh, to those only, you know, leaving feedback other than just a rating. Yeah, I get what you're saying. You know, uh, the comparison that I like to use is that, um, like what you were saying earlier about uh, a bad review going six times as far, um, like if you were to just listen to everybody you knew when you were younger, every relationship is terrible because everybody talks about the bad times. Nobody talks about the good times. Like, Oh, we held each other till four crying. It's like, nobody's like going out bragging to their friends about that part. They're complaining about the bad times. You know, we all seem to be this way, you know? So it, it is very important. And I'm sure all the more important in, in a fun, a fun business. Cause like a plumber, nobody wants, you know, the plumber doesn't need to be. Yeah, if my if I've got water coming through my ceiling, you don't call the plumber and say, "Well, how much do you charge for a trip visit?" You say, "Hey, get right. here, <laughs> get here fast." Yeah, yeah. Not are you going to leave your clown shoes by the door when you come in? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know how much do you think luck is a factor in business? Now, you being a business owner. Um, Feeling lucky doesn't count because everybody who's successful feels lucky. But but how much do you think luck is a factor? It seems like there's a lot of luck in your situation. You found this great location at 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 a, a budding, growing place, you know. Yeah, there's strokes of luck out there, of course. Um, it's just right timing at the right place, maybe. Um, you know, that the so-called Rails to Trail project is called the Tweetsie Trail. And it opened up uh, eight years ago, maybe now, May of 14, and uh, seven years ago. 
And, uh, you know, that building sat there and sat there and it was, you know, it was falling apart. Uh, so I happened to be talking to a buddy of mine that I ride with. And I said, man, I would think about buying that. I just can't get a hold of the owner. He said, well, that's my niece's stepbrother and he needs to get rid of it. So just happened to be riding one day and having that conversation. And, and lo and behold, you know, I sent two letters, uh, all that stuff, no feedback, no feedback. And as soon as I told him the very next day, the owner called me and said, yeah, I'm interested in selling. And, uh, and I know of 10 people that come up and said, I tried to buy that. So just looking that, um, you know, when I, when I develop or build homes, uh, it's all about, you know, differentiating yourself from someone else and why they're buying your house over someone else's. And, I think it just comes with understanding, you know, the product you're putting into them. And we try to be boutique lines. Uh, everything that we have in the shop, we have, we stock a large variety of products that other shops aren't stocking. We hear that all the time. And we have stock in, you know, in, in you know, products and then bicycles and the variety of bicycles that we have. We have tons of varieties. So I don't know. Uh, I, I think luck is a part of it, but at the same time, uh, just trying to have some sort of a business plan to grow. And if you don't offer yourself the opportunity to grow, you're just going to be limited to that same number, maybe year after year. And, uh, and so, yeah, there's, there's corporate companies out there where competing online all the time, you know, competing against the online price, you know, do you match this price? And fortunately we picked up lines, 98% of the lines that we have don't sell online. So we sort of, we sort of, uh, protected ourselves that way and uh when they do sell online uh they got minimal advertised prices so they can't drop below a certain price which uh which is is, is a good thing and uh and so and then we all, we've got lines that no one else has so uh, back to the boutique stuff and especially in the bicycle lines that we have so uh, we don't try to be the big boys there's corporate store here the trek shop trek corporate and, uh, you know, we just try to focus on buy local, support local, ride where you buy, just, just hashtags this, hashtags that. And we're just constantly trying to drill that home. So, but with the luck thing, yeah, I'd, I'd say 25% or maybe a 33% of everything <laughs> you do is, is. Well, it must be nice to have a com community that seems to be a a customer and business community that seems to support that shop local and stuff like that there there seems to be a little more community orientated uh in that stuff once again walmart doesn't care you know yeah well and then yeah walmart's but uh for for the products and the price points and we're getting bikes in there for you know eleven thousand dollars twelve thousand dollars five thousand dollars seven thousand dollars and never in my wildest dream did i ever think based on where we're at would we be selling bikes in that price range but we do and then we thought we'd be on the lower scale competing against the entry-level stuff and and fortunately we haven't but when people when clients or customers are looking to spend that amount of money they're doing their homework they're looking at online stuff and and stuff so uh we're glad that they're you know depending on us but at the same time we are shipping bikes all over the country as well so we're going you know, buy local, buy local, but yeah, uh, California here, we'll ship you this bike to this customer right. in West Virginia or Ohio or, you know, Florida. So we're trying to, you know, be in operating both little worlds. You know, and I think that's a healthy place to be because realistically you can't get everything everywhere. No. Be selling online. How much did technology 
sort of kick off for you during COVID? It really felt like during COVID, businesses either shut down and locked down or they sort of went in on technology. Well, quite honestly, you know, we uh, we had a small, and still it's small. We're we're you know we're not near Amazon level, uh, uh, but. One of my vendors, one of my manufacturers of the bike brand, we grew accustomed to and really appreciate his input. We were having a conversation one day and, and, and it was prior to us even getting online. And he said that, unfortunately, the brick and mortar is only going to be for the repairs, a tire change, a tube change or whatever. And he said, you've got to get in, involved, get involved in developing a web page, uh, get in there and uh, really, really, uh, he said, it's the future. He said, unless you just want to change tubes and change tires. So we, we jumped in and, uh, we jumped into, uh, smart e-telling and smart e-telling designer webpage. They integrated every brand, everything that we have. Some brands we can't sell online. We can advertise on our, uh, on our own webpage, but we can't ship them. Uh, we got a couple of brands and I'm referencing bicycle brands and even like Yakima bike racks, we can't ship online. So the customers, we can advertise on our webpage, but we can't advertise out there in the, you know, we can't link it to, there's a, there's a online bicycle uh, where you can go and buy and sell and trade products. One of the biggest ones is called Pink Bike, and uh, but we can't sell on that with, say, a company out of Bellingham, Washington there up near you, and uh, they don't allow that. We can't even advertise on there. So so um, he said, you better get in, start doing it, and we did, and we listened and conversed and developed and and uh, still slow. We got a lot of people way up in front of us on that, you know, that list, and but we do get those sales. Uh, is this what we want? No, but we would love for that to grow, and it is growing. I grew up in a small town, so my, I mean, much smaller than, you know, Johnson City. So a lot of my jobs were jobs where I'm working next door to the owner-operator. And uh, I remember a, a pizza parlor, and I'm sitting there stirring the pizza sauce, and the guy, like, comes over and, like, shoves me out of the way in order to stir the pizza correctly, mm. you know? So this always makes me think about, business owners who own the business is it hard for you to delegate responsibility yeah certain aspects yes um i know for myself i wanted to grow my construction business prior to the 08 shutdown and i hired another builder and i hired that builder to come on and if i could do my you know, eight houses at one given time, and he could, you know, do another eight houses because we're, you know, we're not a track home. We're not a, you know, these production builders, uh, still still 90% of all homes built in this nation are still by your mom and pop general contractor builder. And uh, and so, yes, I just that conversation and relinquishing that control for, you know, is my money out there? I'm trying to make it appealing to, you know, the, you know, 75% of the population and colors and selections and things. And, and then uh, I was just, you know, you're talking investments of anywhere between at that time, 300 to $800,000 per house. And, uh, and just, I never could, he worked for me for two and a half years and I can never relinquish total control with this and my general manager uh, wholeheartedly, her decisions are my decisions. She and I are on the same page. She's got the same goals. She's, 
she's vested into the business, uh, brought her on as a salaried employee with growth incentives and bonuses, and and she's made all the right decisions. Uh, she's smart. She's been around it. She knows it a lot deeper than I do. So yeah. So with this business, she's uh, she's totally in control of it, and no questions about any decisions she makes. So on one one business couldn't do it. On this one, we can do it. Well, what about uh, you know just even even on a lower level, like just just finding people? How do you go about finding people? Very difficult. Uh, mechanics is the worst, uh, or the short supply of. Um, it's very hard to locate a mechanic. I've been very fortunate over the past three and a half years uh, with good mechanics, um, and and then just your regular everyday employees. Uh, you, you've got to have some uniqueness about yourself. You got to be in the cycling world to be able to talk the talk. You got to understand suspension and chain rings and you know group sets and frames and geometries and you know you just to be able to communicate it in a in a. Uh, uh, a thoughtful and knowledgeable way. If you don't have that, you're going to be quickly uh, pointed out to because you can have some avid cyclists come in and you can have somebody standing there that doesn't ride or our goal is always to have someone that rides, but they may be a road cyclist and you got an avid mountain biker coming in and totally two different worlds, similarities, yes, but two different worlds. And if that person doesn't understand, they're going to be, you know, chewed up and spit out on the side. So very difficult to do. Uh, and then those who are in cycling, because uh, go back to, it's all about net worth and what people are willing to pay and they see value in the mo more expensive products. It's, it's going to be a quality product, a higher end product. And uh, those, those people want typically, you know, the better products that you get, get what you pay for. And, um, and just being able to deal with those people at that higher income level that's willing to pay out, you know, $9,000 for an electric bike or $8,000 for a standard road bike. So if you don't have the ability to, uh, you know, overcome that, they're just going to go somewhere else. And then you've already lost your opportunity to, you know, bring them as a cut in as a customer or them giving you your first shot at becoming a customer. And so difficult to do. Yeah, definitely the hardest part of specialty sales is nobody wants to buy a specialty item from somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about. Yeah, that's that's it. Yeah, if if you don't know the, you don't have the gift of gab, and a lot of a lot of people in this industry, uh, you can bring in a really strong cyclist in all genres: mountain bike, gravel bike, road bike. Well, the the ten the tendency is that they know everything, and unfortunately, no one knows everything. You just got to be able, you got to be willing to listen to see those points and make a point on, and be able to communicate that back, and so. You know, well, that may you acknowledge there may be a better way to do what you're asking. So uh, you just got to have that person with that ability to, you know, understand that. But some people don't have that ability to think somebody else knows something more than they do. What do you see in the future that businesses will have to deal with? What do you what do you think's coming up on the horizon? I think we're there. Uh, this instantaneous gratification or instantaneous purchase. Uh, now we're in a global shortage for the cycling industry. Uh, Every I'm wrong. industry, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the industry, like yeah. Shimano. Uh, Shimano makes brakes and gears and everything like that. So and more than just that, but uh, you know, some of their if you wreck your bike and you damage the rear rear derailleur and it's a certain certain model, 
not all their all their lines are out this way, but some of them are out over 500 days from being able to get it. And uh, so I think the when we first got into the COVID and everybody's like, well, I've never experienced having to wait on a bike six months or four months, or I've never had to wait on a chain for that amount of time. But now I think that the expectations are everybody's like, oh, four months. Okay. I can handle that. So I think everybody's adapting to it. And we have on our end, it's yeah. not a huge sense of urgency to be able to say, oh, I'm going to order that today. And I'll be here day after tomorrow from Spain. Uh, so I think that, but we're, I think we're in the scenario of instantaneous gratification. So where we have made the investment to bring all those additional products in, where we've made the investment to stock a lot more than anybody else in our, in our uh, Johnson City market, for example. Uh, I think that's, that's good. Uh, but at the same time, I've got to compete with, uh, you know, uh, Amazon dropping that, you know, same day you order it in the morning and it's at your house in the evening. Right. So, uh, I think we're, I think we're, that's, that's the biggest dilemma that we will have in the, in the cycling world uh, is the, uh, the ability to stock or warehouse everything that everybody needs in every color, every form, every fashion. And so we've, we've, we've been selective in what we do shoes, for example, and there's so many different sizes, so many different models, so many different colors. And we've just opted out. Hey, we've, uh, here's our lines that we have access to. If you know what size and you can wait three days, we can get it for you, but we're just not going into that overhead and holding cost. And, and then the next year they change that model and then you, you're competing with your manufacturers on the blowouts of online sales. So, we, we've adapted to that. We said, we're just not going to play in that arena. Um, and so I think the instantaneous gratification is the, is going to be the dilemma for the cycling world. Yeah. It's funny how the whole dichotomy of shopping has changed from, I go down to the store. I want a, you know, my dad taking me clothes shopping as a kid, my dad was 40 years older than me. So, so big, big generation jump. And we'd walk into JC Penny or something and my dad would find a salesperson and make them walk around with us the whole time and help us as we shopped, <laughs> you know, and like just how different it is and what you're saying, like now it is just instant, just give me the shirt, send it to my house. I'm out, you know, Brian, thank you very much for coming on the show and answering all of my questions. You know, I think it's really helpful to businesses to, uh, to learn that, uh, other people deal with the things that they deal with and especially uh with with different businesses to hear different ways that people dealt with it and you were very forthcoming with your answers and i really appreciate it you're quite welcome i enjoyed it if you'd like to know more about local motion you can visit them online at localmotiontn.com or stop in at 701 east maple street in johnson city we appreciate your spending the hour with us and hope you join us next time on the Amplify Our City radio show and podcast, where we're working to create a partnership between shoppers and our local companies to put the internet to work for our community.